Good morning, Andy Hoare, or good afternoon, depending on what part of the country you are in. This is Friday 15, and Andy is frozen. Well, Mr. Hoare, if you can't, uh, can't hear, can't hear you because you are, sir, you are frozen in time. There he is. He's back. Welcome, everyone, to Friday 15 with Master B2B. Andy's back. Can you hear me okay, Andy? Hopefully, your audio is coming through okay. I just wanted to throw you a curve, see if you could handle it. Uh-huh. I can, I, I believe me, I can handle it, my friend. It was actually my dream and my plan. See, <laughs> anyway, uh, folks, uh, thanks for joining us today. I think this is all part of your master plan. <laughs> That's correct. Friday 15, uh, here, uh, October 27th. Uh, those of you listening on a podcast, uh, you know, welcome as well. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Brian Beck here with Andy Hoare. Andy's my partner, Master B2B, and we've got some cool topics we're going to talk about today. Including is the younger our younger buyers completely changing the game in B two B, but Andy, uh, we've got some some breaking news uh, we're going to share here in just a second. Let me uh, go ahead and share share this uh, slide here, and uh, folks, um, oh wait, we got to get our cool uh, our cool music going. Breaking, love that sound. Hopefully, it doesn't play again. Okay. Our cartoons are frozen too. <laughs> That's right. Everything's frozen. Folks, Amazon. Interesting story this week. Amazon had to disclose in the EU uh, in their first ever transparency uh, report all this data about how they're penetrating markets in the EU. Interestingly, um, you, know, uh, you know, some of the markets, some of the data that's been revealed is is really fascinating, you know, Germany being uh, a top and, and not France, but Spain actually being top um, traffic markets for Amazon in the EU. Now, of course, UK wasn't included because UK isn't in the EU, Brexit, all that. But what's interesting, Andy, to me about this too, is what implications were, you know, what this what this says about, you know, the FTC and what they're trying to do here in the US. Um, you know, is this what the FTC is after, uh, you know, here in the US, this kind of level of transparency and where they're selling, who they're selling to, how much traffic they're getting, all the rest. What do you think? Yeah, I think we're going to see more scrutiny of these companies because they're becoming more important and they're gaining more market power. And so I think regulators, we talked about this last week, are going to force these companies to reveal more. But at the end of the day, what does this really mean, though? I mean, it's interesting to know, but how does this impact Amazon or the world? What if it was 179 or 186? Who cares, right? right? I I don't know why they guard this stuff so so much. Amazon's a little too secretive for me, and I I don't quite understand because it makes them feel like a black box to people. I don't know why that that only hurts them, especially with younger generations, which we're going to talk about here. I don't know why they do that, but yeah, no, it's interesting. Well, you know, for me and my business at at Enceba, Andy, it's interesting to see kind of where these markets, where they're playing out in these different markets across the world, too, right? Um, U.S. still being the largest, of course, of all these markets Amazon's in. But did you see the earnings release last night? um, Earnings release: Amazon is killing it with bottom line, a record quarter. Well, that was his record quarter, but it's one of their best quarters in recent memories. Memory over eight percent net profit, uh, or I think operating profit is how they define it. But uh, you know, really, uh, and a lot of this focus on sort of optimizing for bottom line, and what Jassy's doing there is, is starting is is paying off from a profitability standpoint. Thoughts? Well, you know, they, everything was cyclical. I remember in the early days of Amazon, they got away with this, and it pissed off a lot of retailers who didn't have the same luxury. Right. But- right. Amazon would say, we're losing money this year uh, because we're investing. And no right. other companies seem to get away with that, but Amazon seems to get away with this stuff. So I think like one week 
or one quarter. <clears throat> it could be we're going to optimize earnings the next quarter. It can be, you know, we're investing again. So, but I, I, I don't know if they have the ability to turn it on and turn it off, but that was impressive. They doubled the earnings estimate for this yep. quarter. Yep. Um, I don't know, it's a machine. Well, what's fascinating to me too, I, I remember reading the Brad Stone's book, uh, The Everything Store. I don't know if you ever read that, Andy, but it was all about the first 20 years of Amazon, really, first 15, 20 years. And a lot of what they talked about there was exactly what you described, you know, kind of the ability to focus on the longer term or their their they're just their 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 bank, their, you know, their their balance sheet and being able to support that. But also even to the extent of Amazon being able to do what you just said, which is, you know, you know, sort of turn up profit and turn it down based on, you know, their their near term and longer term goals. I think today, though, we're seeing a serious uh, really refocusing of the business. And I see this. I think it has implications for companies that are selling on Amazon, the suppliers, how they're selling. You know, as you think about even vendor central versus seller central, you know, vendor where they own the product, seller where they it's a pass through marketplace model. And so much more is coming through marketplace. Well, guess what? You know, I think we're seeing a long term trend here where Amazon realizes that's actually more profitable for them. They don't have to take inventory risk. They don't have to resource against it, things like that. So I think I think we're seeing a kind of fundamental shift in how Amazon's doing business. And that's playing out in the numbers, as you can tell from this most recent earnings release. And so, I think it increases more scrutiny for them yep. because these marketplaces are market power is what they are. They give them the ability to essentially have gravitational pull that sucks everybody in. And in that scenario, it's the M word is they have a monopoly on their own platform. And so, again, the only enemy here of Amazon is bad execution, obviously poor strategic decisions. That's always the case. Right. I think Amazon's biggest enemy here is regulation, though. The government's really the only thing that can effectively yep. shut them down. And so yep. that's why maybe they're so secretive now. Of course, they've always been secretive. So who knows? Well, I, I think, yeah. And we can argue about the FTC case uh, quite a bit, too. I, I don't think it has a lot of merit personally, but um, but I'm not an attorney. And, you know, what's interesting is the younger buyers are subject today have voted with, you know, their dollars, um, you know, moving moving their purchases, not only B2C, but also B2B to Amazon. Our question today, are younger buyers completely changing the game in B2B? You know, and we're going to show some statistics here. Uh, and we, you know, we did a LinkedIn poll about this too, Andy. We'll talk about that at the end of our Friday 15. But look, you know, those of you on the podcast, we're, we're looking now at a, um, uh, a, a statistic which shows where the where the global workforce is by generation as of a couple of years ago, and fascinating here, Andy. Fifty nine percent are between eighteen and forty two. Gen Z and millennials. These people are digital natives, Amazon natives, etc. Thirty five percent Gen X, only six percent Boomer, and of course, you know the Boomers are all you know really retiring at this point. Some Gen X are are too. What are your thoughts? Any reaction on this? Yeah, as a Gen Xer, this scares me a little bit. That's <laughs> <laughs> around the other half. <laughs> we're the senior leadership right. um, at this point in a lot of organizations. The bad news is we're in the workforce. Millennials outnumber Gen Xers in the workforce. As a right. generation, it's twice the size mm -hmm. of Gen X. But in the workforce, as you see here, they've already reached the same size as we are, which is why some people were joking about that on LinkedIn that, we're talking about this as being younger generations and the next generation. And somebody pointed out, it's like, wait a minute, this is the generation. That's <laughs> right. I mean, it's 59% of the workforce. We're the minority right. now. 
Yeah, and I've seen projections as high as 75% will be in that age range by 2025. So Gen Xers are starting to retire, right? And and boomers are, you know, kind of going to be fully retired uh, shortly. Um, so, yeah, it's really fascinating. So the question is, does this impact, you know, the the the, the B2B, com B2B commerce? Is it fundamentally different or are the same tenants still the same? Like, what does a meaningful interaction mean? This is a statistic you found, Andy, a couple of years ago about Gen, Gen Zers. What, what want to speak to this and, and, you know, for our podcast listeners, describe what's here. Yeah. So a statistic, you know, I think IBM was into this a couple of years ago, that 62% of Gen Zers will not use an app or a website that is hard to navigate. Again, this is wow. a subjective judgment, but I'm guessing that if it takes <laughs> more than one or two clicks, it's hard. Right. Uh, and then the other one was 60%. So pretty close number to that. will not use an app or a website is too slow to load. Now I've seen other numbers around this too, that I think for every one second delay in a page loading conversion rate goes down by 7%. So if you have a three second delay in an app or a website loading, that's a 21% reduction in conversion okay. rate. So this is a generation that's not very patient. Sure, sure. Um, and so that that's already something people have to grapple with. And I think the other thing we were talking about on air before the or before we went on air was at our dinner last night here in Chicago with a group of executives, one of our signature peer-to-peer uh, -peer discussion groups. We, we actually were talking about, you know, it was mostly Gen Xers talking about Gen Y and Gen Z. And uh, one of the things that came up was that the younger generations at work were never taught or just didn't recognize that when you can't get an answer online or something is too hard to get, that you should turn to a person, which is where the wisdom still exists. Knowledge is all over the place online, but the wisdom still resides in humans, at right. least for now, until AI maybe eliminates that. <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't know, and I'm painting with a broad brush here, but they don't know they need to ask people for help. And the implication here is that companies have to be proactive about this. You can't wait, for example, with a stat to find out later that, ooh, our page took too long to load. Uh, you can't wait for, for people to come to you and say, this is not good. You need to recognize it, self-recognize it, self-diagnose, and then self-resolve, um, or you're going to lose a lot of people. So the fact of the matter is that that expertise and what you're describing still matters. But the, the game changing part of this or the part that's changed is that the buyer is not asking for that. So that so the seller does have to change how they go to market. Right. So if we look at this next statistic. Forrester released just recently this report. Uh, Forrester buyers journey surveys of several thousand buyers. And for those of you on the podcast, let me read this. 40% of younger buyers will rate person-to-person -person meetings with product experts as their most meaningful interaction. That's fascinating to me. That that actually strikes me as something that is maybe a little surprising, but also is not necessarily a change from where we were even you know, 50 years ago where that technical expertise was important. It's just the matter in which it, it, it ends up happening sounds like it's different, right, Andy? Well, what we've learned here is that when people get stuck, in older generations, they will ask. Right. In younger generations, they won't. But if they do get that opportunity, it becomes a very meaningful interaction. So companies yes. have to be smart about this. Like, okay, so we don't want to proactively offer this to people who don't want it because if they don't want it, they don't want it. But when they need it, they yeah. love it. Right. 
So it's the it's 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 right. It's allowing the customer or the buyer to actually get the information at the right time. I mean, it speaks to relevancy of experience. It speaks to personalization. It speaks to segmentation of the experience so that as a seller, as a B2B company, distributor, manufacturer, I need to be mindful of that moment and make sure that, you know, that I'm providing that that access. Right. So if you look at this, this is another statistic from the same report. It says meaningful impactful interaction types across the discover, evaluate, and commit phases of the buyer journey. Number one, product experts, vendor websites, number four. Now, these are all kind of close together. But those of you, again, on the podcast, product experts, 40%. So, again, it's the same story, right? More important than um, than the, uh, the the website experience. Well, but I think, and look, what, look what is in third place there, sales representatives. Right. right so, right. Uh, note to companies, when people are making decisions, they want to talk to people who can actually help them decide, which is usually people who have product or domain expertise. Right. Again, no problem with sales reps, especially if they're knowledgeable, but when they run into a problem, they don't want more sales. They want more answers. And that generally right. comes from product experts. It reminds me of a conversation I had recently with uh, a mutual friend of ours who works for a very large manufacturer and he said the single most coveted position mm -hmm. uh or single most coveted individual in their organization is a product expert these guys manufacture stuff yeah. and when customers run into problems they don't want to talk to a sales rep to resolve their problem they want to talk to a customer service rep they want to talk to a product yeah. expert yeah. and guess what that product expert does when they get an answer to that the customers say oh hey uh, what do you suggest I buy? Right. So now the product right. reps are becoming sales reps, but notice the order. They went to the product rep for expertise first, sales second. The opposite doesn't work. Well, what I, I mean, we see this playing out in our own in our own forums, in our community, Andy. When we bring in folks from solution providers, software companies, et cetera, to talk with our community of e-commerce executives, the, the the folks that resonate, the folks that, that are you know successful, the people that really that the practitioners want to talk to, they might be in a you know have a sales title or you know senior level title, or whatever. But they ultimately they are product experts and they're solving a problem. And ultimately, that's what I think the the story is here. And even if we look at what you know, this is another chart which shows you know which when when they actually make the purchase, technology expertise, the expertise on the on the solution itself is what drives the solution and so when we asked our we also asked our our community on linkedin Andy, i will show this this poll result here this question are younger buyers completely changing the game in b2b and it's interesting because 73 percent we had a lot of votes on this 73 percent said yes it's fundamentally different and you know 27 percent no the fundamentals are the same to me it's almost to me, I actually don't fully agree with the result of this. I think the fundamental is still actually similar. It's how they get to that answer or how they get the, you know, access that expertise might be a little different. So I think if we think about it from a channel to answer kind of thing, yes, it's digital, but, you know, largely. But the technical expertise and the product expertise and the solution expertise still is the driver of the decision. Uh, so I think in some ways it is the same. Well, you know what? I think this comes down to, the classic argument about, you know, most companies are inwardly focused and they think yep. in terms of channels. And the reason they answered this way, in my opinion, is because this next generation doesn't care about your damn channels. 
They right. don't care about fitting nicely and neatly into how you want them to interact with you. What they do is interact with you wherever they're going to, however they're going to, whenever they want to. So if they're in the middle of a product demo and they have a question, they want a chat thing to pop up. They don't right. want to be have to go dig for a phone number and then call somebody. They don't even want to call to get an answer to something. So these have to be seamless interactions. Yeah. They have to be frictionless interactions. And I think yeah. that is what's changing the game. Because I agree with that. Companies yeah. wanted to say, no, no, we'll capture this person through a customer call center. And we say, what if they don't want to call you? Exactly. That's right. No, I agree with you. That's the part that's changed. It's the digitization. All right. So just a minute left here, Andy. A couple things we want to highlight for folks. Um, you had a great uh, roundtable, um, executive roundtable last night in Chicago at the University of Chicago's uh, Leacher Center. We've got another one coming up in Atlanta on November 8th. We've got a great group already signed up for this. We're two-thirds full. If anyone is in the Chicago, or excuse me, the Atlanta area and can join us, who's listening, we'd love to have you. There's no cost to join. It's at the Commerce Club, beautiful location, top of a skyscraper. That's on November 8th. Just uh, send me a message through LinkedIn or email me at brian at master B2B, and we can get you signed up for that. Uh, we have a few spots remaining. That's in a couple of weeks. Um, we're doing these throughout the country next year, Andy. Very excited about, about that, and we'll be announcing that. Just make sure you're on our anyone listening, make sure you're on our email list, which you can get to by going to masterb2b.com and signing up to receive our notifications of our upcoming events. And you can sign up for our forum, Master B2B Forum, no cost. We're approaching 400 members in our forum. It is only practitioners, manufacturers, distributors, and brands, no cost to participate. It's like a private LinkedIn. We encourage you to uh, Take a look at that again, masterb2b.com. Click on forum and you can submit an application to join us yeah, there. That's right. You have to submit an application because not everybody gets in. I mean, Brian, you didn't get in for months. I know. So. I'm not even in there. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Well, this has been a great uh, Friday. Let's see. We're at Friday 18 here. We're trying to get this to 15. We're doing pretty good. Uh, getting closer every week, Andy Hoare. But uh, good good work today. Any final words for our, our listeners before, you before we drop no, I, just a great event yesterday. These little regional roundtables we're doing are great because we're going to you, uh, which I think is kind of unusual, and they're intimate, small scale. If you live in Atlanta, if, if Atlanta's going to be anything like what Chicago was yesterday and a couple of weeks ago, and you're Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, yep. uh, people are in for a real treat. So I highly recommend it. Yep. Good. Well, we'll see you next week on Friday 15, everyone. Uh, Friday, 9 a.m. Uh, uh, Pacific, noon Eastern. And uh, we'll see you online. In the meantime, thanks, everyone, for joining today. Have a good week.